Ecclesiastes chapter 1 we began a series through this book last Sunday and um, we shall continue from verse 2 to verse 11 I'll read the chapter thereafter uh, pray and then we shall consider Ecclesiastes 1 the words of the preacher the son of David king in Jerusalem vanity of vanities says the preacher vanity of vanities all is vanity what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun a generation goes and a generation comes but the earth remains forever the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns all streams run to the sea but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow there they flow again all things are full of weariness a man cannot utter it the eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing what has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done and there is nothing new under the sun is there a thing of which it is said see this is new it has been already in the ages before us there is no remembrance of former things nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after I the preacher have been king over Israel in Jerusalem and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with I have seen everything that is done under the Sun and behold all is vanity and a striving after wind what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted I said in my heart I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind for in much wisdom is much vexation and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow let us ask God for help father we pray this afternoon as we open the pages of your word that this word will illumine our minds this word will um, convict us we pray that you may help me to be faithful to your word and help my hearers too to be faithful in hearing uh, grant us much grace Lord in spite of the of the heat we pray that uh, our minds will be focused upon your word your truth your inspired infallible word these things we pray in Jesus name Amen We're going to consider verse 2 to 11 
the sermon is titled all is vanity all is vanity and the first point is life is unsatisfying life is unsatisfying we're going to look at look at verse 2 and 3 and then the second point is life does not change that is verse 4 to 7 life does not change verse 4 to 7 and then thirdly life is disappointing verse 8 to 11 life is disappointing verse 8 to 11 so last week we began with verse 1 the words of the preacher the son of David king in Jerusalem the preacher in Hebrew is called Koheleth who is the Koheleth the root word means to assemble to gather people and to address them in an assembly and the Greek word for this is ecclesia where we find the word the church so the one who speaks is speaking to a gathering speaking to a group of people and who is this person last time we considered verse 1 he refers to himself as the son of David king in Jerusalem and then in verse 12 he says I the preacher have been king over Israel in Jerusalem so it seems from verse 1 and even verse 12 that the preacher is Solomon so all is vanity first point life is unsatisfying we come to verse 2 vanity of vanities says the preacher vanity of vanities all is vanity in verse 2 we have the theme this vanity in Hebrew it's called Hebel and the first thing you notice is that this word hits us out of nowhere if I was to stand before you and begin my sermon with those words you will wonder where am I coming from the same case with the preacher so the expression vanity of vanities is like the Lord of Lords it is like the song of songs it's a way of saying something in superlative in Hebrew and so it's not only a matter of him starting off with vanity of vanities he also says it twice he says vanity of vanities says the preacher vanity of vanities and notice he goes ahead and gives this comprehensive all is vanity the word vanity is difficult to translate because it does not have a standard single meaning it has shades of differences and it comes out different in various contexts and so right away we are faced with a difficult context here the difficult situations Solomon is building on a word and he uses it over and over again but the word has different meanings the word may mean emptiness the word may mean meaningless the word may mean vapor the word may mean transient the word may mean absurdity so it has various meanings in various contexts 
one writer says that it is it is even doubtful in fact whether an Israelite will grasp the full meaning of this word and import it into his or her vocabulary and so so this word you cannot nail it down to one single word and so but looking at the context we are able to understand vanity here as the constant reality in the life of everybody whether you're a believer or not this phrase has been restated over and over again some translation may say meaningless some may say vanity as this and it means something bad something something dark and it in its literal meaning it means breath something that uh, James may say in James chapter 4 verse 14 what is your life for your mist that appears for a little time and then va vanishes so it's it's a picture of, of vapor something that appears for a moment and vanishes the second determining thing relating to the word vanity is it is part of the curse this is part of living in a fallen world you see the heaven is not only controlled by God sorry the earth is not only controlled by God it is also ordained by God so God is in charge of all the vanity of vanities of all the futility and the meaninglessness and so this is a puzzling situation at times this is a theological conundrum. It means the pain of having to live with many questions unanswered. So it conveys the notion that life is enigmatic. Life is a puzzle. It's mysterious. That there are many unanswered and unanswerable questions. That is part of the vanity. The futility that the preacher is wrestling with. As you think of this word vanity, Let's also think of the absurdity of it. One of the things that Solomon wrestles with is that the world has to be in a certain way because there's a creator, there's a lawgiver. And this lawgiver has created rational, moral beings so that there should be, there should be a moral order in all things. Yet things are painfully not working the way they're supposed to be this is something that causes the preacher to wrestle there's chaos there's 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 violation of moral order life seems absurd and here the preacher starts with monotony vanity of vanity says the preacher vanity of vanities all is vanity there's monotony there's repetition and in verse 3, here comes the first question. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? You see, the preacher in verse 2 gives us the answer even before asking the question. In verse 3, he asks the, uh, he asks the question to verse 2. And so the preacher is going to look at the world 
through history, through time, through seasons, and through eternity. And what does he want us to do? He wants us, he wants us to think with him. He wants us to follow his reasoning. He wants us to feel the full weight of his conclusion. He has something important to tell us about how to live this life. The preacher asks, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? He's asking the question, will the world be different after I leave it? When it is all said and done, what is the gain? What benefit, what advantage, what gain does someone have? And if you read it long enough, it's a question about the meaning and the purpose of life. What is the benefit, what is the profit, what is the gain, what is the advantage of all your work, all your studies? What is your life all about? So this is not a theological question, it is a philosophical question. What is your life all about? We know that God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden. God gave them a job. He gave them work. And the question here is, what is the point of it? You have woken up probably early in the morning <laughs> for the past 20 years what is the point I, I know it is God ordained but what is the point and the preacher is trying to make the point here that life under the sun is just a regular daily way of life both for the believer and for the non-believer he's describing life on a daily basis on a regular basis life is a daily running of the mill and under the divine government God is in the heavens and is the judge so life is a way of life every day is a way of life knowing that we are all going to die one day and the question comes up what am I doing in this curse sinned world at the end of the day in your retirement after you have worked probably for 50 years what do you get for all your labors and we we'll see the preacher will say that he may work all his life digging a hole only for someone else to come and do what to fill up the hole is there any satisfaction is there any meaning that I can find in life. So life is unsatisfying. If you ever want to find fulfillment in life, even if you're the richest, like Solomon, the most influential at his time, like Solomon, the wisest like him, it tells us later in the book that to enjoy it, it is a gift from God. You enjoy everything that God has given you knowing that it is a gift from God. That appetite you have for food, that enjoyment that you have, it tells us that it is from God. If God will not give you the appetite, if God will not give you the joy to um, 
to enjoy the things of life, it will be like giving a banana to someone who has no limbs and expecting them to, to peel it off and to eat it. It's only God alone who can help us enjoy the gifts. Without God, it's like a phone without a battery. It's only God who gives those gifts the ability to enjoy them. And then secondly, so verse 2 and 3, life is unsatisfying. Verse 4 to 7, life does not change. Life does not change. And here, it tackles the issue of, of generation. Generation after generation, verse 4. He says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. So what is the benefit of life if the preacher here is going from bad to us? He's saying everything keeps running the way it does. After the death of someone, that you realize that you also will die one day. And there will be those who will come to follow after you, and they will also die. And he's saying here, a generation goes and a generation comes. And then he says, he comes to creation now. He uses the illustration of creation in verse 5 to 7. He says, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. So the sun will rise up the next day, the sky will be blue, and those who will be left will be asking the same questions like the preacher. You see, the earth is moving alone. There is utter and complete monotony. The sun will rise, this, will rise again, generation will come and go, the wind will blow to the south, it will blow to the north, and it doesn't even skip a bit. So that you do not know whether to, mourns, to mourn a, a, a man's death. Because you also will die one day. And the sun will rise up again. And the river will, will flow. The sky will be blue. I know that is not exciting to hear. But that is the reality of life. And he gives us the illustration in verse 5 to 7. It's almost as if Solomon is saying, your life is a monotony of nature. It will not change. The world is going on with its activities, but it is never going anywhere. It's the same thing day after day. It's the same thing season after season. It's the same thing decade after decade. Look at the sun. Look at the wind, it's blowing in its course, on and on. It is so busy. He says there, the sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits, the wind returns. It's the same thing. It's always blowing. It's so busy, so frenetic. It's a boring regularity. 
though the world is a hub of activity someone has said it is devoid of progress there's a lot of things happening in the world but there's no progress everything remains the same there's nothing new under the sun it is monotonous it is regular yet we see that god made the heavens and the earth to declare his glory so there's something glorious about monotony and, and there's a writer called G.K. Chesterton and he says um, when you take a child and when you throw them up and they are enjoying it what do they say? Again they'll ask you to, to do it over and over again until you're tired and his argument is because of our sin we are so bored with monotony and he says God is never bored with monotony because tomorrow he'll say sunrise again tomorrow he'll say river flow tomorrow the wind will blow God is never bored with monotony G.K. Chesterton argues that it is our sin it is our fallen nature that makes us to feel bored with the regularity of life so the monotony here reflects what a monotonous life we have day in, day out. And so verse 4 to 8, verse, sorry, verse 4 to, 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 to 7, and then verse 7, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. So if you watch the sun rise every day, if you watch the wind blow every day, you're never satisfied. You continue to watch it and you wonder, it's so consistent, it never stops. You're getting older, you're watching it, you're getting older, life is so brief, life is vanity, brethren. So the question here, is about life the reality of life and the last thing i like us to see is life is disappointing from verse 8 to 11. here we are given the explanation in verse 8 he says all things are full of weariness a man cannot utter it the eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing what has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done and there's nothing new under the sun he comes to verse 8 and he's trying to explain away the disappointments in life and the preacher doesn't have one he says all things are full of what weariness all things are full of labor everything is hard work there's monotony of nature there's monotony of life and Solomon says it wears us out all things are wearisome there's uniformity there's monotony which leads to, to boredom you see men will not be able to tell it the reason because he doesn't give us the reason. Philosophers, scientists, scholars, 
cannot come up with a conclusion. Skeptics can complain all they want, but they will not come to a conclusion. Nobody can speak meaningfully about the monotony of life. He says the ear continues to, he says, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. This is an endless cycle. You're always wanting to hear more. You're always wanting to see more. And the simple act is the dissatisfaction. Verse 9, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. So what has been done is what will be done. Life is like washing your dishes. There's a bit of absurdity to it. You take clean dishes, you cook your food, they are dirty, you have to wash them again. It is a meaningless monotony. Same thing with your clothes. You've worn your clothes and after a while, the bucket, uh, uh, your, your dirty clothes are full. You have to wash them again. You see, this is an endless circle. This is a recurrence. This is a repetition. There's a sense of frustration in the words of the preacher. And the preacher is asking, what's the point? What's the point? Life can be frustrating. Life can be disappointing. And that is life, brethren. And everyone knows it. You don't need to be a Christian to hate some of, uh, some of the regularities of life. The preacher is in mad quest for something new. A longing quest for something exciting. But he'll never find it. And, and that is the thing with young people. They need to come to grips with. There's nothing that is going to make your life in this earth without toil. A relationship will not do it. A career will not do it. Traveling will not do it. Money will not do it. That is the state of the fallen world. What your eyes saw yesterday, your eyes may see them 10 years later and it will not be different. What you hear today is the same thing you may hear 20 years from now. It will never change. Day after day, year after year, decade after de decade. Then he comes to verse 10. And he argues that there are people who can say, See, this is new. He says, Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. So I ask, is there anything new under the sun? You may say, see, this is new as Solomon is arguing. You may argue that Solomon did not have computers, did not have cars at his time, did not have television. But if you're, miss if you're thinking in that way, you're missing the context. The teacher here has in mind of any invention that enables man to break out of nature and the succession of history into meaning. Man has not found it. Each generation come 
and they always consider itself the greatest. And still there is no conclusion. If you talk of computer, computer games for example, people throughout generations have played games. If you talk of music recorders, people throughout generations have sung music. If you talk of, we have planes, we have train and all these kinds of, of uh, transportation, people throughout history have moved from one place to another. If you say that there are skyscrapers, there are large buildings, there are mansions, but throughout the history of man, people have lived in houses. The audio Bible is not new. People have read the Bible aloud throughout history. So Solomon is making the point here, there's nothing new under the sun. Can you say, I'm getting married? Can you say, I'm having a child? Throughout history, men and, men and women have gotten married. Children, children have been born. So can you really say that there is anything new under the sun? And the answer is no. Man can advance in technology to such a point that they think that they are smarter than the, than the previous generation, but they do not have answers to life's questions. Nobody comes up with a design or a pattern or a discovery that he says that this will give me meaning to life. Solomon is going to tell us that there is a lot of pain that comes with knowledge. And you see, we are living in the age of internet. Is in the internet speeding the human race into oblivion? Doesn't your technology, your phones, your social media, don't they make your brain weaker and softer? Don't they make your relationship weaker? Because our society is quickly decaying because knowledge is easily accessible. The brain is becoming softer because we do not need to think. We're becoming out of touch with fellow men because of the technology. What about scientific discoveries? We have more discovery, but the same old things. Today, modern man is glorifying science. Science is, is, is our savior. My brethren, that is not the answer. That is not the answer. Science has no meaning to everything in life. And then verse 11, and so there's a downward spiral spiral to this chapter it's as if the preacher is adding salt to injury and he says there is no remembrance of former things nor will there be any remembrance of later, thing, of later things yet to be among those who come after if you thought that the preacher was through with you he is not and part of the vanity he's saying here is Nobody is ever going to remember about you. Nobody is ever going to remember the good old days you had. Your achievements, your work. Probably 
nobody is ever going to remember your names so you could be the president of the free world the most powerful nation you might have achievements you might have monuments the preacher says nobody is going to remember you think of the work you've done the salary you've earned the savings you've done preacher just comes to tell you nobody is ever going to remember you nobody is ever going to remember about us so what is the benefit for all this so does the preacher have your attention yet does what he says resonate with you do you feel the weight of what he's saying you see if the Lord tarries your parents will see you raise kids the same way they raised you. And one day, if the Lord tarries, you'll be a grandfather. And you see your children raising your grandchildren the way you raised them. Because time flies quickly. One of these days, if the Lord wills, you're going to be a great, great, great grandpa. And they're going to ask, what was your name? Because people will not remember you. So in the midst of Ecclesiastes, I found this book very helpful because life goes very fast in a flash. There's monotony to it. There's a lot of redundancy to life. But the redundancy and the monotony does not need to drive you insane. Because if you accept the view that the creature needs to needs to enjoy life and enjoy the gifts that God has given them many of you are young people even though I'm also young and very soon this time will seem like yesterday tomorrow will be gone sooner or later You'll be 70 years old. You'll be a grandfather. You see, it's, it's a scary thought. It's very hard to grapple with. But the preacher is going to help us navigate through life. That is the vanity of vanities. It's going to help us enjoy the fleeting life that will be over even before we realize it is over. This is what Ecclesiastes gives us hope. Because if you're thinking of someone who wrestled with these things, he was the wisest man, yet he could not find answers to it. You have to depend on him, the most influential, the most famous at his time, the wisest. And his wisdom is going to help us to cope with life. It is vanity of vanities. And so verse 11 is an application. There is no remembrance of former things nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after you see when people die in some tombstone they write gone but what never forgotten number of years later those tombstones are what they're forgotten are they aren't they there'll be no remembrance of those who will come later still um, if I may ask, how many of you 
know the names of all your all the names of your of your grandparents both on your on the father's side and both of the mother's side all their names I'll go further how many of you know the names of your great grandparents eight of them you see the point is two generations they are all forgotten that is life that is that is how it will always be and we need a biblical philosophy of life that wrestles with these realities and we have to accept brethren that life is a vapor don't ever think that you're going to live forever there are people who want to live away from reality so, so that they may not attend burials because they can't handle the thought of dying. Do not live for things that are here and now. Live for things that are eternal. Life is frustrating. Life is disappointing. Life is unsatisfying. Even though we may not understand what is going on in this world, there's someone you can trust in. We might have joys of life, we might have sorrows of life, but the Bible says that one day we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. And before your maker, you're going to give an account of how you used your days, how you used your words, your relationships, your coins, your skills, your opportunities, which God has entrusted you. Will God say to you, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will we hear these terrible words, depart from me? For I never knew you, you workers of iniquity, you workers of lawlessness. Or if you're born again, will you hear these shattering words? You were saved. But your life was a waste. None of your works have survived. The purpose of your life was never achieved. When you die one day, when you leave your possessions, your wealth, your influence, your relationships, your education, your career, your family, the only thing that will count are the eternal things. When you pass from this life, to the next to stand before your maker you'll be required to give an account of the life that you have lived in the flesh scripture indicates that the sum of all your life will be evaluated and tested by fire to determine its worth will it be wood hay and stubble which represent those things that are not done for Christ, those things that you did out of wrong motives, out of selfish goals, out of insincere hearts, or when you'll be tested by fire, will it be gold, silver, and precious stones, those things that you did for Christ with pure hearts, with sincere faith, with love for your master? Will it be things done to the glory of God, things done 
from selfish interest? Will your works last forever? You see, brethren, salvation is free, but you have to earn your reward in heaven. And the Lord can truly reward us if we did everything for his glory, for the glory of Christ. Will you last on that day? City Start says, you have only one life and it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The mature believer does not hold tightly to material things, but walks in the truth knowing that one life, it will soon be passed and only what's done for God will last. The psalmist says in Psalm 39, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. And then he says, Behold, you have made my days a few hundreds and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. Job 7.16 says, I loathe my life. I will not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are a breath. You see, wisdom calls us to live with a mindset on eternity. Because any moment, God may pluck us out of this world and he may bring us into his presence. And you know what? Before you were born, before you came into this world, God had determined all the days of our lives. Scripture says in Psalm 139 verse 16, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And so brethren, only life, only one life will soon be passed. Only what will be done for Christ will last. May the Lord help us to teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you may help us as we go through this book. You may show us the brevity of life. Help us to acknowledge that indeed apart from Christ, we cannot live for your glory. And those who do not have a relationship with you, they may seek to find forgiveness of their sins and to walk in righteousness. Help us, Lord, as we continue to worship you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.